Hi, my name is Caroline Durham and I'm the Minister of Children here at Heights Baptist Church. Thanks for joining us online today. You can find our content on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and at our website, heightschurch.org slash connect. You can let us know that you joined us today um, and let us know how we can be praying for you. Thanks for joining us. So Mark chapter 7 is where we are. We have been in the, the gospel of Mark. We're just taking it a, a, a chapter a week if you're new with us or maybe haven't been here in a little while. Uh, and so we're just focusing in on really one, one message a chapter. Uh, so if you're looking for somewhere to read in your Bible and say, ah, I just haven't been reading in a while. I want to start. Uh, start in Mark. You just can start in chapter 1, read a chapter a day. You're going to catch right up to us. And we'll be in this uh, through Easter. And so we'll be uh, finishing up on Easter morning in Mark chapter 16, because Mark chapter 16 is about the resurrection of Jesus. And that's like an important Easter message, right? Would you agree? Okay. So see how we, we line that out. Okay. So Mark chapter 16 is where we'll be on Easter in a few weeks, but Mark 7 is where we are today. If you can stand with us again, let's read uh, verses 1 through about uh, verse 8. And uh, if you're new with us, we like to do this as we read the Word of God publicly together to honor the reading of His Word. Mark writes in verse 1, Now when the Pharisees gathered to Him, and the Him is Jesus, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw some of His disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders." And when they had come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. Verse 5 says, And the Pharisees and the scribes ask him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And Jesus said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy to you uh, hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Verse 7, in vain uh, they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Father, we have opened your word and we just ask that the Holy Spirit will open our hearts and minds to understand it. Whether we are in this room or we are online uh, worshiping today in our homes, we pray that as the word is opened, uh, Father, you help us to understand it. Help me to communicate it uh, clearly today with conviction and compassion uh, because I believe this is your word you have given to us as your people so we may better honor and live for you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. In Jewish tradition, there is a, a book called the Manisha. Now, the Manisha was written a long, long ago with the purpose of really kind of putting a guard around God's law and then also helping God's people to follow him. All right, so for the Jews uh, way back in the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, the Manisha was written to kind of just put a fence around God's law to protect it and then also to help people uh, be able to keep God's law. Now, over time, the longer this went, more and more and more and more things got added to the Manisha as far as things as you could or could not do. And some of them were quite outlandish. And let me give you a couple of them. First, it was forbidden for you to look into a mirror on the Sabbath. You couldn't look in the mirror on the Sabbath. And the reason you could not look into the mirror on the Sabbath was because if you saw a gray hair and you plucked the gray hair, that was considered work. Therefore, you were violating the Sabbath. You worked on the Sabbath. Right? 
you could not spit on the ground on the Sabbath. Because if you spit on the ground and you took your sandal and you rubbed that spit into the dirt, then you were therefore cultivating the dirt and you have now worked on the Sabbath and you've broken the Sabbath. All right, these, these were rules that they had put down. How about this? A lot of the minutia was focused on purity issues, how to be clean before God and, and how to be pure. 35 pages written on how to wash the dishes. 35 pages on how to wash dishes. Some of you wives are like, can I just get the page on how to load the dishwasher, right? Because my husband can't figure out how to do that. I don't know if I'm the only husband who doesn't know how to load the dishwasher. Somehow in my house, like I load it and then somehow, but I, I just hadn't figured out in 18 years how to load the dishwasher right. Can I get an amen from the men? Okay, there you go. All right. And now you have to lean over to your wife and say, I love you, right? I mean, 35 pages on just how to wash the dishes. So they had all these rules that were tacked on top of God's law of how to obey God and, and live for God. But here's what Jesus is saying in Mark chapter 7. That you can do everything right on the outside, but still not be right on the inside. I mean, that, that's the point of what he's saying. He's coming to Pharisees and scribes. He's like, guys, you, you can keep everything right perfect on the outside, but on the inside still not be right. So then how are we right with God? What Jesus is going to show you in this passage is the inside has to be right in order for the outside to be right. But if all you focus is on the outside and just keeping and trying to, you know, be a good moral person, but that heart never changes, then you're not going to be right at the end of the day before God. And this is what we would call legalism. Where legalism is the attempt to get right with God based on just outside keeping of, of rules and regulations. Legalism is simply saying, all right, God, I'm going to be right with you based on my standard, how well I can do, what I can achieve, but never loving God on the inside. So I want you to notice in the passage what a, kind of what a legalist looks like. And I want to challenge you today to say, is this me? Is, is this my heart? Because first, a legalist honors God with their lips, but not their heart. So a legalist is going to honor God with their lips, but not their heart. On the outside, everything looks good in the legalist's life, but on the inside, there's no love for the Lord. So the issue that happens that we've already read in verses 1 through 8 is essentially this. The Pharisees and the scribes, they've kind of formed a tag team. They've come together. These guys are, are usually rivals. They don't always get along. But right now in the Gospels, what we're seeing is they're getting along because they're like, we got to get Jesus out of here. We don't like this guy. He's got to go. So the Pharisees and scribes are like, hey, let's team up together and let's try to figure out how he's broken the Mosaic law. Because if we can find a way he's broken God's law, then he's not the Messiah. He's not the Christ. We can charge him with blasphemy because he said he's God and we can get him out of here. So you see in verse one, some scribes and Pharisees, they're coming from Jerusalem. So this is an official delegation sent out. And they come up to Jesus and they say, Jesus, listen, we've noticed that before your disciples eat, they don't wash their hands, right? So they're eating with unwashed hands and they're defiled people because they're not washing their hands before they eat. Now let's stop right there. I know right now we are a culture that swims in Perel, right? I mean, 
some of you, you get to the grocery store and you're like wiping down every part of that shopping cart with like 50 Clorox wipes before you ever put your hand on it. So I know all of us have kind of become germaphobes since 2020 happened. I get it, right? This is not a hygiene issue that Jesus is addressing. Now, part of us, when we go like, oh gosh, they're eating without washing their hands first, there is that kind of ooh factor to this, right? Kind of like, ooh, that's gross, all right? But what we have to do is move beyond the ooh factor, all right? Because it's not a hygiene issue that they're addressing. They're addressing a spiritual issue. They're saying they are defiled before God because they're not following the tradition of the elders of how to properly wash your hands before they eat. Okay, so that's the question in verse 5. Look at it again. And the Pharisees and scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? So they're saying, Jesus, there's all kinds of rules they're breaking here. There's all kinds of traditions. And because they're breaking those rules, they're defiled before God. Before we are too hard on them, let's put ourselves in check. Because what they were doing was taking Scripture, and they were putting up their man-made tradition, and they were putting on the exact same kind of plane. Right? So Scripture has authority, Tradition has authority. And because they broke tradition, they've now broken scripture, right? And you and I can do this all kinds of ways without really realizing we do this. We have scripture, but you know, in church, we should only sing new songs because we don't sing those old hymns, right? Or, you know, we got scripture, but man, we need to sing those old hymns because we don't want to sing those newfangled songs. But boy, if we we do one or the other, then we've, we, we've broken tradition, therefore broken scripture. How about there's only a certain way you dress to come on a Sunday morning, right? You got to wear your Sunday best. If you don't wear your Sunday best, you don't worship God. You can't worship God without your Sunday best on. There's all kinds of things that if we're not careful, we can put our tradition right in line with scripture as the same authority. That's what they were doing. That was the rub because they're like, oh, they're breaking tradition, because they're breaking tradition, they're breaking scripture. And notice there's some traditions that are good within a church, right? I mean, there, there's, their traditions are fine, but we can't put it on the same level as scripture because here's what we do. Instead of putting it on the same level, a follower of Jesus goes, I come right under scripture. Scripture's my authority. I follow scripture first and foremost. And that's what you do in your life. That's what we do as a church. We say, here's our tradition. Traditions are good but we're going to put it right under the Bible and we're going to follow what the Bible says. And so the rub is coming here where they're like, they're breaking tradition. So they're breaking the law. Jesus then says this in verses six through seven. He says, did Isaiah prophesy? And he quotes Isaiah 29, 13. You hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips. Their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Has anybody ever called you a hypocrite? Anybody ever called you one? How'd that go? <laughs> What'd you say to them when they called you a hypocrite? What'd you think about them when they called you a hypocrite? What did you think you should have said that you didn't say, and you're probably glad you didn't say it, right? You ever call it? I mean, it stings when somebody calls you a hypocrite. 
Like you're a hypocrite. Man, that doesn't sit well, right? What's a hypocrite? A hypocrite is essentially somebody who says, I do one thing, but then I do the exact opposite. All right, so, so I, do one, I, I do this, but then you, you do the exact opposite. And Jesus says, guys, you're being hypocritical. And you can almost hear their rebuttal, right? Think of it, put yourself in the Pharisee's shoes for a moment. When you hear those words, they sting. You are going to be angry at Jesus in this moment. Why? Because they're like, wait a minute, hang on. We're the hypocrites? Well, you just stop right there, you old little Nazareth kid, you know, from this little Nazareth town that nobody heard about. You're just a carpenter's son. We're the educated ones. We went to seminary. We're from the big city. We're the hypocrites. I mean, you can almost hear their argument back. Let's look, Jesus, at who you got running around with you right now. You got 12 guys running around that look like they need a shower, a haircut, and a shave, right? You got fishermen running around with you who are uneducated. You got this tax collector that Matthew is, you know, is Matthew, and all of us want to beat him up because we don't like him. And then you got this, you know, political zealot named Simon running around with you. That's who you got running around with you. Look at who we've got. People who are good, people who are moral, people who wash their hands properly before they eat. Like, we're the hypocrites? You hang on one second, Jesus. You were just down at Matthew's house the other night eating with him. Then you went over to a prostitute's house and ate with her. And all you're hanging around with is all these people we consider sinners. Who's the hypocrite in this? (laughs) You You see the tension of this? Because what's happening here is Jesus is saying, you can keep it all together on the outside. But if the inside's not right, you're not right. And that's what he means in verses 6 and 7. You're honoring God with your lips. You're doing all the external. You're saying all the right things. But your heart is far from God. And in vain, it's empty. It's worthless what you're doing. Now here's the danger of this passage. Because when we hear that, some of us might think, I really wish Jim was here to hear that. Man, I wish, I wish Sue would have showed up today. Man, I, I, that, that, that's, I, I need to text them later and be like, hey, you need, you need, to, you need to listen to this one, right? See, see, the danger we all fall into in verses 6 and 7 is to think it's not us, right? Well, that, that's just the silly Pharisees. That, that, that's that person I know that has that problem. That, that's that person over there that has that. But we have to stop and ask ourselves, is this us? Is this me? Am I one that does everything right on the outside, but on the inside it's not right? See, that, that's the real question of the text you have to wrestle with in your heart, in your mind. God, is this me? Is this who I am? Because the last thing you want to do is when you die, appear before Jesus and say, Jesus, I loved you. I followed you. I did everything right. I knew you. And Jesus looks at you and says, well, you may have known me, but I never knew you. Depart from me into a life, an eternity in hell and the lake of fire. And and, and as scary as that verse is, I'm afraid there are churches filled with people who they honor God with their lips, but their heart's not right. 
And that's why Jesus is pointing that out to me and to you and to them, is to say, we can honor God with our lips, but our hearts not be right. So a hypocrite's one that does that. Secondly, let me show you another characteristic of a hypocrite. It, it would be one that twist God's word to their advantage. So a, a hypocrite's going to take the word of God and manipulate it to their own advantage. Why don't you pick up in verse 8? Jesus says, you leave the commandment of God and you hold to the tradition of men. He says, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. Now in verse 10, he's going to remind them of the fifth commandment. He's going to say, all right, you guys remember, the fifth commandment is honor your father and mother. And then you're going to see in verse 11 this word called korban. And so what was happening was there was this idea, and again, it was a man-made system. It was a man-made rule. Now, you got to stay with me on this because some of you are going to go, whoa. So what the Jewish people would do is they could take all their money, they could take all their wealth, everything they've earned, and they say, okay, this is korban. We're dedicating it to the Lord. All right, so we, we've dedicated all our money to the Lord. Now, some of you are thinking, all right, well, that's not a bad thing to do. Hang on, there was a loophole. When you dedicated it to the Lord then you didn't have to use your money to help anyone else out. Why? Because you dedicated it to the Lord. It's the Lord's money. It's not my money anymore. Now, you could continue to earn your own money. You could continue to build your own wealth. You could continue to spend your own money how you want to spend it. But when your aging parents need help, you could go, hey, mom and dad, listen, I can't help you out. You know why? Because I've dedicated all my money to the Lord. It's Corban, right? And Jesus is like, guys, whoa, whoa, whoa. You have taken scripture and you have manipulated this around to fit your own agenda, to fit your own system, to, to fit to your own advantage, and you have violated the law. You have violated the fifth commandment. You know, people do this all the time. Our, our third president, Thomas Jefferson, did this. 1819, Thomas Jefferson wrote his own Bible. It's called the Jeffersonian Bible. Uh, it's not really much of a Bible at all. Uh, we would, uh, you know, say, nope, nope, you've really messed this up, Jefferson. But what Jefferson did was he said, you know, these Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, it's, it's too complicated. So I'm going to simplify Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. So he rewrote the Gospels. Now, Jefferson was a naturalist. So a naturalist doesn't believe in the supernatural. So what Jefferson did in rewriting his own Bible when he rewrote Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John was he took all the miracles out of the rewrite. So all the times Jesus controlled nature, all the times that Jesus you know, healed blind people, all the times Jesus helped people who couldn't hear, hear, all that whoosh, gone. Didn't fit his system, didn't fit to him. He was a naturalist. He didn't believe in supernatural things. Something big he left out. There a pretty big miracle that he would have left out in all that. How about the cross? He, re, he, he didn't put Jesus dying on the cross in his Bible. He put Jesus rising from the grave in his Bible. Why? Because that's the greatest miracle Jesus Christ has ever done for all of us. He took our sin upon himself. They put him in a tomb. Three days later, he rose again, never to die again. But Jefferson said, you know, no, 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 that, that doesn't fit my system. That doesn't fit my, my narrative. And, 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 and hear me on this. You can make the Bible say anything you want it to say. You can. Whatever your narrative is, whatever you want it to say, you can make it say that. You can reason out your sin by using the Bible. I mean, people do this all the time. 
But Jesus is saying, no, that's not how it works, guys. That a legalist is one who manipulates Scripture to fit their own agenda. Instead, those of us that follow Christ, we come under its authority. We come and say, no, no, here's what the Bible says. Because again, you can have it all right on the outside, but not be right on the inside. So let me show you the third part of a legalist. A legalist really confuses the true source of their salvation. All right, they confuse the source of their salvation. I think this is probably where a lot of folks have trouble. is because they'll, they'll, they'll say, you know, here's how I'm right with God. I, I'm right with God based on my morality. I'm right with God based on the rules I keep and the things I do. And, and even Christians really can kind of fall into that trap, but they fall in that trap later. See, a, a lot of you would say, hey, I, I started the Christian off, life off right. Great, you know trust in Christ by faith alone and Christ alone through grace alone when I was 10 or 12 or but here I am at 56 or I'm at 43 or I'm at 33 or I'm at 76 and what you've done though over time is you've established your relationship with Christ not based on what he's done but now based on what you've done so I stay in God's good graces based on the rules I keep I stay in God's good graces based on being a good moral person I stay in God's good graces by the, the things I do versus trusting in what Christ has done for me. Let me show you in the text what I mean. In verse 15, Jesus says, There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defiles him. All right, so Jesus is saying this to the whole group. Hey, guys, listen. Yeah, I've just pointed out all your hypocrisy. And I'm just going to let you know what comes out of you is what defiles you, not what comes into you. Now, that's radical for the Jewish people because the Jewish people would have made the argument, no, no, it's what comes in you that defiles you. It's eating with unwashed hands. That defiles you before God. Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. What comes in you goes out of you, right? And so what comes in doesn't defile you. It's what comes out of your heart that defiles you. So then Jesus shows us some things that come out of us. As you pick up in verse 20, he says, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. He says, From within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, Envy, slander, pride, foolishness. That comes out of us. And he says all these evil things come from within. And they can defile a person. Now, now be careful though. Because Jesus isn't saying, hey, don't worry about what you do. Right? I mean, he, he would advocate. You, you actually need to watch what you eat. I mean... There's consequences to all of our actions. If you build a life living on Twinkies all the time, and later in life you have diabetes, well, you know, hey, probably shouldn't eat so many Twinkies, right? There's things that, yes, you need to watch what you watch. You need to watch what you're looking at, what you're hearing, what you are putting in you. That is important. Jesus isn't negating any of that. But he's saying what makes a person a sinner, what separates us from God, what defiles us is what's in the heart, because what's in the heart 
comes out in the actions. What's in the heart comes into the mind. It comes what, through what we say and what we do. And so when you look at that list, and just look at that list again with me, in verse 21, you might kind of go through that list and think, ah, evil thoughts, that ain't me. Sexual immorality, nah, I don't ever look at anybody with lust. Theft, nah, I don't ever steal God from God's glory. Murder, I've never honestly killed anybody, but, you know, yeah, I got an anger issue, but that's not that big of a deal, right? You know, covetedness, nah, you know, I'm pretty good with what I have. Wickedness, I'm a, I'm, you know, I, I got a good temper about me. Sure, I lose it every once in a while when the Texans can't figure out what to do with Deshaun Watson. I mean, you know, get stuck in traffic on 610 again. Deceit, now, nah, you know, I'm, I'm pretty honest. I mean, you know, the taxes are coming up, and I'll do them as honestly as I need to do them. And, you know, slander, sure, I posted some things about somebody on Facebook before, but that wasn't that bad. I mean, I'm not that bad at all, really, but then there's that word called pride that just trips us right up. And then there's the word right after pride called foolishness to think that we are okay before God based on what we do. It's foolishness. Jesus says, a legalist confuses that true source of what makes you right before God. He's trying to look at that list and say, I'm going to conquer the list. I'm going to be perfect. And if I'm perfect and I do it right, I stay ahead of the other guy, then I'll be okay before God. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. It happened to me a couple of years ago when I was working on this text. The Lord kind of brought this incident back to my mind. Um, but I was, I was trimming our bushes out front several years ago. And um, I didn't know there was a wasp nest in the bush. Couldn't see it. It was in the bush. I couldn't, couldn't see it. It was, it was down in there. But then when my hedge trimmers came near the wasp nest, out of the bush came the wasp. Right? So out from, from within this, they came out. And when they came out, they were not happy. We were not friends. I mean, they poured down their anger and their wrath upon me. You know, that's sin in our life. There's sin within us. It's in the seed of our emotions. We always can't see it until it comes out of us. That's Jesus' point. That you can look and be all right on the outside, but not right on the inside. That's why David says in Psalm 51.10, Create in me in a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That's why Jesus says in John chapter 3, in order to be, come into the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, whoever is in Christ is a new creation. And then he says in verse 21 that Christ who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So when you come to Christ, you come to Jesus and you say, Jesus, here's my sin. And Jesus says, here's my righteousness. And what makes you right before God is not your morality. It's not your rule keeping. It's not your efforts. It's the righteousness of Christ in you. So this morning, I want you to stop and we're going to just pray for a few moments. And I want you to ask yourself these questions. Is this me? <laughs> It isn't me in verses 6 and 7. It's between you and the Lord. God, is this me? 
Am I one right now that is honoring you and praising you with my lips and my external actions, but my heart is not with you? Is that me? Second question I want you to ask yourself, when you look in verses 20 through 23, is to say, okay, what's the struggle today? What in that list right now am I struggling with? And I want you to turn from those things. I want you to turn to Christ and come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need that new heart that David prayed for. Jesus, I need that new spirit that David prayed for. I need to be that new creation that Paul talks about. I need that righteousness of Christ in me because what's coming out of me right now is all those things in verses 20 through 23. But when I'm in line with Jesus, what will come out of me is peace and joy and patience and kindness and long-suffering and joy. And I want that coming out of me today. And so I want to invite you just right where you are. Let's bow in prayer. I want you today just to go before the Lord and just ask yourself, number one, is, does verses 6 and 7 apply to me? Am I, and I'm, am I the hypocrite right here? Or my, my lips, my actions, if they're in line, the external things are okay, but there's no love for the Lord. My heart's not in it. I don't love God. Maybe this morning, ask yourself in verses 20 through 23, what are you, what are you seeing coming out of you right now? Are you seeing those actions? Or are you seeing the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness? Ask God for that new heart as David prayed, Lord, create in me a clean heart, renew a steadfast spirit within me. Maybe today, as others are praying that, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Meaning right now, if you died today, you, you wouldn't know if you were in heaven with him for all of eternity. You've not placed your trust and your faith in Christ and Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sin. Whether you are in your living room or you're in this worship center, today, the Bible says, can be the day of your salvation. As others are praying and, and responding to what God is putting on their heart, I, I want to just talk to you right now. The Bible says in order to be saved, you trust in Christ and Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sin. And the way you start that relationship just by calling out to the Lord, just asking him to be your savior and to save you. Romans 10, 10, 13 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will shall be saved. And so right where you are, do that if you haven't. I'm going to lead out in a prayer and you can follow along with me if you just don't know the words to express what you're feeling right now. You can simply say, dear God, I'm ready to be a follower of Jesus. I place my faith and my trust in Christ and in Christ alone. I believe in his death, his burial and resurrection. And today I'm ready to have life with Christ for all of eternity. Father, I thank you that when your children turn back to you, and Lord, we admit our sin, that Father, you don't turn us away that you love us. And Father, you love us on our best days and our worst days. And Father, I pray this morning that each one of us would take a long, hard look at our relationship with you. Father, let me be the first to admit before anybody else, I need that clean heart a lot. 
I just pray that prayer of David today. Renew that steadfast spirit within me, God. And Father, I pray today that coming out of all of us would not be envy and pride and anger, and, but we would see the fruit of the Spirit because the inside of us is right. So, Father, I pray also for those in their homes, those in this place that maybe for the first time have placed their faith and trust in Jesus today. That, Father, you would assure them of that life they have and that forgiveness they have with Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm invite you.